Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. Hello, everybody. Hello, Meredith. Hello. We've got another super exciting episode, people. Strap in. Because we're going to talk about pressure versus expectations as it relates. Pressure. Under pressure. Down on me. <laughs> down on me. Usually I'm the singer. I know. Wow. That's you're true. Really, you're really, you're bringing your A game today. <laughs> Am I? It's a Sunday afternoon. And right before this call, I had a coughing attack <laughs> and then was struggling to use words. And Kathy reminded me that there is a mute function on our recording, <laughs> on our microphone. You can't always mute yourself if you got something going on. Anyways, I wanted to talk about pressure versus expectations, because I think this is a question that parents have a lot. And it's come up recently for me in two of my coaching scenarios. And I wanted to talk about it with you because I think it's a good question and it's complex. So mm -hmm. We're going to do our best to try to share some of our wisdom on the topic. But I think there's this question parents have, which is, am I putting too much pressure on my kids or am I not putting enough pressure on my kids? And how do I know if it's not enough or it's too much, right? Like, how do I strike the right balance? So, yeah, these are the things on my mind. And I want to start, I will start with my two scenarios before we go there. There's this chart in education and parenting circles. You may have seen it. Are these charts called something? These four quadrant charts? Is saying four quadrants redundant? Is it a quadrant chart? <laughs> I, I think so. I don't know. You think so? I have no idea what this chart's called, but it's got four quadrants. It has quadrants. Four squares. Four squares. <laughs> it's, it's got four squares. Okay. <laughs> and in each square is... High expectations, low expectations, high support, low support. And as a teacher, let me guess, you want high expectations and low support. That's exactly right. Don't you love that? And you know those teachers too. Your kids have those teachers, high expectations, low support, where they're like, this class is so hard. I have no idea what's going on. And my teacher yeah. is so not helpful. <laughs> not breaking down things, not scaffolding, right? Like you don't want that in a teacher. You also don't want low expectations, low support. You also don't want low expectations, high support, because that teacher is just not really teaching you anything, <laughs> but they're like all in your face about some weird stuff <laughs> that you don't care about. You're like, why are you talking to me about things that I don't need to learn? Can you teach me how to do algebra, please? And then you've got the high support, high expectation teachers, and that's typically where your kids are really engaged and they're learning a lot. And so for parenting, it's the same. High expectation, high support is a quadrant you want to land in. But what that looks like, I think, is tricky and different for every family and for every kid. I think even within the same family, you can have different ways of parenting your multiple children. And that's totally reasonable. Of course. Well, kids are not the same. They are not the same. 
turns out they're different from each other. I know. And it makes parenting extra hard. So we're sorry about that. But there are two scenarios in which I want to bring up. So the other day I had a call with a family that I love. They're so nice and warm and open and their son is the same way. And he's a lovely human being. Our conversation is actually a very good student. You know, he's gotten lots of A's in school, mostly A's actually. And he's very involved in his sport and he really enjoys it. And he's very social. He's got a great group of friends. Okay. Sounds good so far. Sounds good so far, right? But he hasn't done a whole lot of other stuff. Like his world is pretty small. It's limited to going to school, hanging out with friends, and going to sports practice. And we were talking about this. He's a junior, so he's about to be a senior. And we were talking about this in relation to his college process. And I was like, well, you know, his resume is probably going to be a little bit of a weak point. And his parents were like, oh, my God, did we not push him hard enough? (laughs) Should he be doing more things? (laughs) And I was like, well... Maybe. (laughs) I mean, for college, yeah, he kind of does need to be doing more things. Do I think you haven't put enough pressure on him? I'm not sure. But what I hear from him a lot is that he's got a lot of time and capacity for other stuff. He comes home. He's like, yeah, homework's not too bad. Like, spend a lot of time with friends. Like, go out a lot on weekends. Like, yeah, I have a lot of sports practice for sure, but that's really fun. I enjoy it. So that's good. But he's got more to give, right? Like it's pretty obvious he's got capacity. He's got the ability and the skills to be doing more things. And so I had a hard time answering that question to his parents, right? When I had the parent meeting, like, should you be pushing him more? What would you say, Meredith? And then I'll tell you what I what I told them. Do you have thoughts about that? I do have thoughts. Of course I have thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> to your scenario. So I would have a real problem in this conversation with diction. I think we need to draw some, for me personally, I want to make sure that we're talking about the meaning of certain words that we're using. Because when I hear the word pressure and when I hear the word push, I don't think that is an effective strategy. It just doesn't work. Now, if what we mean by pressure, when someone says pressure, if what they mean by that really is encouragement or support, Now that works. And I think I would, because frankly, you can't make a team do a whole lot. You could certainly use a lot of punishing tactics to make teens comply, right? Which is a lot of how I think the connotation of pressure connotes for me. But it's not going to work very well in the long run. And this is going to build all kinds of negative self-concept and resentment. And we're going to get into more detail about that later. But if someone is sort of interchangeably using, but if what they really mean by pressure is like encouraging their child to be more curious about expanding their horizons, I think that's a fundamentally good thing for young people. And so I would probably go back to that family and say, what are some of your ideas for how you might encourage him to be more curious about using his time differently? And I would go back to that child and I would lay the facts out, right? Like for better or for worse, the college process does have certain expectations. Here are some places where it is probable that you'll fall short of those expectations as you apply to college. And it begs the question of your relationship to the way you spend time. And I would, again, probe and ask open-ended questions to encourage that child to think differently about how they're spending their time. And at the end of the day, as a parent, could you make your kid keep taking piano lessons? Could you make your kid 
study a second language. Sure, you could make you have power. You have more power than your children. But I'm not sure that works. And I think it ultimately a healthier way to approach that conversation is really about values. So for example, actually, let me give you an example from one of my coaching sessions recently. This kid's awesome. I think he's super fun to work with. He's really engaging. Similar kind of scenario where he's a super happy guy. Like, you know, his grades have come up. He's learning how to organize and manage his time better, has a good group of friends, has a couple of activities he really likes to do. And is kind of like a chill personality. And like one part of me really wants to honor that. Like that's who he is. He's his own person. But we were talking about his grades. And he has a a particular class that he perceives is more difficult for him than his other classes. And he had gotten a B plus on a test. And that was actually pretty good because prior to that, he'd been getting C's on tests. And so his grade in the class was now at like a B plus. And we were talking and I said, well, what did you, you know, we, we, cause we've been t- working on changing strategies with studying, talking to his teacher so that he can like do better on tests. And lo and behold, those strategies are working and he's doing better. But he was sort of talking to me and he's like, yeah, if I finish the year with like a B plus or a B in this class, I'd feel really great. And I knew that he was selling himself short. I knew that he could get a better grade. I know it based on the month we've been talking about this class. And so I brought it up with him because I said, you know, listen, like, I think that's amazing. I mean, considering where you come from, you are kicking butt in this class and it's great. I really want to make sure that like we're celebrating that. And I don't want you to hear what I'm about to say as discouraging you in any way. I said, but given how you're the momentum you're generating, I'm curious what makes you think the highest you could achieve in this class is this grade versus that grade. Right. And it wasn't me saying you can get an A, you need to get an A or else, which is pressure. But it was encouragement. I was like, I would just hate to see you sell yourself short. I, I think you've had this experience for a semester where you you just kind of formed this belief that you weren't good in this class. And now the last two months you've been kicking ass, like you're good in this class. So where do you think that could take you if you weren't holding on to this perception of yourself from the first semester? That's encouragement. That's encouraging a child to hold themselves to a higher expectation that they derive for themselves. That's different than me saying, if you don't get an A in this class, you're going to totally hurt your chances in the college admission process. You're wasting your intelligence because you can. we know you can do better. That's shaming. That's pressure. That just doesn't work with kids. Yeah. And I think when I think about that scenario, I could see a parent also being like, a B is awesome. Great. And not challenging. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that's the tricky part for parents, right? Is sussing out when should you encourage or is a B really the best? <laughs> like a B is pretty good. <laughs> like we're super happy with that, right? Or should we have the conversation where we're like raising or bringing up the idea that hey, you know what? I think based on what we've seen so far, you know, exactly what you're saying. We think that, you know, what about an A? Is B the best you could do? Yeah. I think the frame is really important, right? It's not about the best, but it's like more about character. When I work with kids, I say, I always want your grades to be a reflection of what you perceive as your ability. And if you know in your heart of hearts that with just a little bit more stretching, or if I just continue to work in this way, 
I could achieve something that I'd be really proud of. I want you to feel proud of the work that you put forward. If that's a B plus, because you were, you know, clawing your way to a B plus, good on you. If that's a C plus, good on you. If that's an A, great. It's not about the A versus the B versus the C, right? It's about the characterological, you know, and like kids, man, those are big wins when kids are encouraged to hold themselves to high expectations and realize that they can meet them. Yeah. But it has to be for them, especially teens. Like it has to come. I think one of the things that bugs me about this concept of parental pressure is, you know, first of all, I want to name that I think a lot of parental pressure comes from a place of good intention and gets bastardized pretty fast. It often is so linked to a parent's own perception of success in areas, right? Oh, my own perception of success in academics, my own perception or experience historically of my success in sports or my own whatever. And there can be this displacement of belief that your child needs to look or sound or perform the same way you did or would want to, to make up for the fact that you didn't. And it's really important to remember that your children are their own people. They are autonomous people and they need that respect. You're not going to get anywhere. You just don't get far if you are using children as sort of a proxy as a like ref, like whether or not they placed in the top three in the cross country meet is somehow a referendum on your parenting. If that's where the parental pressure is coming from, that's going to be bad for everybody. Yeah. Or their achievement is a reflection of your parenting. And it's all about achievement, right? It's not about effort. It's not about character. It's just about achievement. It's just about the A. It's just about the gold ribbon. It's just about the first place. It's just about the college, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a good clue. And I think with this family that I'm talking about, you know, they really don't have a lot of expectations around where he goes to college, the name of the college, how selective that college is, where it ranks. Like, that's not really on their radar. Yeah. More chill. Yeah. Very chill, you know. And one of the things that I brought to them, because they actually said their older daughter, who is in college now, came back, just finishing her freshman year, came back and said, you know what? I actually wish that you guys were a little bit harder on me. Right. And like, what is that about? And I don't think that's about pressure, but it is about expectations. And it is about wanting your parents to see the best in you and challenge you and push you to be more than you think you can be because they believe in you and they support you. Right. Like, and I think what their daughter was asking for was like, I didn't even know I was supposed to do these things. Like, I wish you had helped me <laughs> see that there was more out there for me. I think that's well said. And I think their son is kind of experiencing the same thing in that he feels a little bit lost about his future. He's not exactly sure what he wants to do. And he sees college as a step, like, you know, a necessary step in his future, like a lot of teenagers do, which I don't blame him for having that attitude, right? Of course. But I did tell his parents, I think, I think what I'm hearing from him is that his world feels pretty small. And it is small in some ways, right? He's going from school to practice to hang out with friends. And that he's actually got all these great skills. He's so personable. He loves people. We did his character strengths and like kindness and love. You know, those were all at the top. He loves people. And I was like, he's got gifts. And one of the ways that you can help him is to help him find ways to use those 
skills in helping his community and other people and engaging with a larger world out there. Like he just doesn't know because he hasn't had the opportunity to explore. He hasn't been exposed to this stuff, right? And I think that that's a place that his parents could come in and say, wow, we see all of these amazing talents and skills that you have. And we see like, there's all these places that you could actually, places that could benefit from these skills. And we see that you have all this time, right? His parents kind of laughed when I was like, it seems like he has capacity to be doing more. And they were like, <laughs> like, you're telling me, <laughs> yeah, he's got all sorts of time. And I was like, great. Like, that's a place where you could say, hey, you know, you look like there's this great opportunity to do X or we're going to go do some of this as a family. And it looks like you've got time. So, you know, you're spending a lot of time with your friends. We'd love it if you would spend some time helping out a neighbor or whatever the thing is that you think your kid could give back, right? And I think in this situation, it's not that I don't think that they have, they need to put more pressure on him. But I do think that as parents, your kids do need that from you. I think sometimes parents see like a kid who's doing pretty well, like for them to get to that next level of self-awareness and actualization, they need you as the adults in their life the primary adults in their life, to open their eyes, open the door a little bit and say, there is more for you. And I believe in you, right? Like, I think you've got so much to give. Yeah, it's such a tightrope. You know, while we're having this conversation, it's making me think about attachment. You know, you know me, I'm always going to bring it back to a developmental place. And so it's making me think of what does secure attachment look like in adolescence? Because we talk a lot about attachment theory in early childhood and infancy and even in utero. But what does secure attachment look like in adolescence? And I think it has a lot to do with attunement. And I think one of the ways that is particularly as young adults are forging a sense of independent identity, which is sort of the purpose of adolescence, they will look to their primary caregivers for, first of all, they are, even if they don't give you the satisfaction of showing up in this way day to day, they are looking for approval from their primary caregivers, that they're good, that they're okay. And they are looking for boundaries, right? We often talk about the importance of setting boundaries with kids around social media or around partying or things like that. And here too, I think they're looking to the adults in their lives for guardrails around kind of like what does their zone of development look like? What are the boundaries? What is the perimeter of that? Because they don't know that yet. They're discovering that. So They're having more firsts than we have as adults and more leaps of faith in some ways than we have as adults. And if you just think in the moments in your life where you had to do something hard or scary and you had someone in your corner who really believed in you, like how powerful that is and how motivating that is. And I think, you know, we talk so much about values. So I would even both for the parent who may be putting too much pressure on their kid, but also the parent who's maybe scratching their head, wondering if they're not quite holding their child to enough of a high expectation. I think this is where values can really be a guide. You know, what are our values as a family? And to what degree is my child sort of living these values? So if kindness or empathy or compassion is a value that your child has identified or that you all talk about a lot as a family, then sit down with them and say, you know, This is something we talk all the time about, you know, where in your life do you see yourself really practicing this value of compassion? And if the answer is like, I'm kind of not, okay, well, how do you think we might sort of address that as a family or individually? So I think that's also 
something for parents to consider. But I do think it's a tightrope because first of all, I think it's important to name that this is not a one size fits all model. The pressure point, the tipping point for one kid is going to look different from another kid. So some kids can handle a little bit more persistence. Others are going to be more fragile. Depends on sort of their experiences or stage of life, what else is going on in their life. So you have to be pretty agile, I think, as a parent. And to do this well, to find this balance between encouragement and not unhealthy pressure or perfectionistic parenting, but also not laissez-faire parenting, I think it requires a lot of mindfulness and parents checking in with themselves regularly and often about their motivations. Like, where is this instinct in me coming from? Is it coming from a generative place that's about my child growing into an autonomous, healthy adult? Or is it coming from my own insecurity, my own anxiety? So I think parents, it requires a lot of self-reflection on your part regularly. And it requires revisiting. Maybe the thing that we were doing for the last three months that worked really well needs to be altered in some way. Maybe you need to ratchet something up. Maybe you need to ratchet something back. So I think it's also not being so wedded to it looking a particular way. Like, oh, there's only one pathway to success. Like for your student, like somehow there's only one pathway for him to broaden his horizons. Like, no, that could look lots of different ways. And the goal is broaden horizons. The goal isn't to do research with a college professor. Like it's a bigger, more generative, wholesome, characterological goal. But I think it requires a lot of parent self-awareness. It's hard. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when we see parents who are putting, and this is unfortunately, I think what we see more, parents putting pressure on kids, and it usually stems from their own anxiety and worry about their kid's future, about what this means for them as, you know, what kind of parents they are. So I want to share this other scenario. Because I think the first scenario is actually these types of parents are less common for us. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah. Like the majority of parents who are going to seek out a life coach for their kids are parents who are worried and feeling like they're not being very effective, right, at moving the needle. And I don't want to make those parents feel like they're bad parents. Trust me, I, we get it. Like it is very hard when you care about even for us as coaches or teachers or educators, when we care about our kid, like they make us anxious and worried, right? Like we have to manage our own anxiety and worry for those kids. So we can we can imagine what it's like amplified to the nth degree when that's your child. Because for so many of the kids that we coach and work with, like we feel like they're our kids and we have plenty of anxiety and worry about them. And we have to catch ourselves in our coaching moments being like, oh dang, <laughs> like I'm really putting some pressure on this kid. Right. And we catch ourselves doing it all the time. Like I'm always like, oh, okay, this is not productive. Like I can tell this conversation is not productive and the role that I'm playing in that. Well, and I think especially for you and I, because our style with kids is pretty direct. Like for those of you listening, if you were to sit down on a coaching session with me or Kathy, the other day, I had some kid was, I don't know, speaking some nonsense. And like I tell kids about themselves, I was like, that is the most that is some nonsense that you just said. I don't, I, like, I, I just say that, you know? You're like, I'm calling bullshit. I was like, that was the biggest bunch of bullshit yeah. I have ever heard. Like, who do you think you're talking to? You know, so it's not like, to be fair, we're not always like, so tell us more about what would help you. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you're just like, oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And teenagers appreciate that, I think, most of the time. Right. Well, I think they appreciate it when they trust your motives. Yes. That you want what's best for them. Right. That you believe in them. Yeah. And that's so important. I think that trust piece is huge for, I mean, for all humans, but teenagers, especially as they're becoming independent human beings and making their own choices in life and seeking approval from their parents and the other adults in their life and their peers. I mean, it's rough out here for a teenager, y'all. They got so many competing voices right in their head, asking them to do different things. So it brings me to the second scenario, which is more of a typical parent, I think, for us, which is I have this kid who I actually like quite a bit. He's gotten into some trouble at his school and lots of poor decision making, not thinking about consequences, probably a tiny little prefrontal cortex. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. just, you know, having worked with him for like a month or so, I just, I don't think he's very happy, right? He's not thriving. He's not flourishing. He's checking the boxes and doing the things he needs to do. He's actually pretty responsible. So he's in a sport that he's quite good at and could potentially get recruited in college for. And he hates that sport. (laughs) Actually, is like so boring. (laughs) He's like, it's a really boring sport. I really don't enjoy it. I like my teammates. That's, That's nice. Like I've got a good group of friends on my team, but I don't like what I'm doing. It's a means to an end. I know I have to do it in order to get in the college that I want to go to. And he's just not super happy. And right now he can't swim with his team because he's in trouble. So he's swimming outside of school. So his parents are kind of like, this is a tricky situation. Maybe you're going to help me with this call that I'm going to have with his parents next week right now. I'm ready. It's a tricky situation because I think he needs structure in his life. I don't think that it's a good idea to just be like, okay, you don't have to swim anymore, especially when it's so high stakes and he's coming up on the college process, blah, blah, blah. And if it really is his ticket into college. And we've had extensive conversations about what he wants, not what his parents want. We're like, let's remove your parents from the scenario. Like, what do you actually want? He's like, well, I want to get into these colleges. <laughs> like, okay, we can question why you want to get into these colleges. We'll have conversations about that. But at the end of the day, he also yeah, kind of yeah. wants that for himself. He wants that too. Yeah, he kind of sees it as his golden ticket in some ways. And so he's kind of like, oh, but I'm so, but he's unhappy. Like I can see he's unhappy. So how do I help this kid become more happy? And his parents are not letting him, like what he would like is for his parents to let him quit the team that he's currently on because it's not his school team and whatever. Like I could just take two months off, like three months off. Like, would that be the end of the world? I'm like, I don't, I have no idea. I don't know about your sport. I have no idea. <laughs> Like maybe it would be the end of the world. I really don't know. But his entire life, he's like, my parents have forced me to do this sport since I was eight years old, right? Like he really feels like he's been pressured into doing it. It's kind of been like a non-starter to quit. Well, what an excellent example of like the research on, there's a lot of research that shows us that when inordinate amounts of pressure are placed on young people, people, frankly, but, you know, you and I, our province is sort of young people and they have no agency in what happens to them. Things are just being told to them and happening to them because they have no power in the dynamic. They're just forced to go along. I'm not surprised to hear that he's a pretty unhappy guy, right? So I think parents, if you're listening, 
cautionary tale. Like there is a huge correlation between excessive pressure and depression and mental health issues in young people in acting out behaviors, like whether that's promiscuity, sexual activity, substance use, like unhappy teens typically don't have the most healthy coping strategies to deal with their unhappiness. So pay attention to that. So yeah, I mean, I think I would really want to probe what his, if I had to guess, getting into certain colleges is a symbol for him of something. Mm -hmm. And I would want to probe that further. I would want to understand that more so I could help him better understand, either help him grow more comfortable with the notion that there's so many wonderful colleges out there that this small subset of schools is not the only place where you could be happy and free and liberated. Because that's kind of what I'm hearing is like, I want liberation. Of course. And the thing is like, you know, we'll have that conversation, but you know how the teenagers are and the culture around this is so insidious, right? Around the college admissions. We can tell kids this until we're blue in the face, but at the end of the day, it's like, this is what I want. (laughs) Right. But I think that's what he wants now. I think, I think he wants that now as a, I suspect a lot of his beliefs about what he wants are a reaction are either sort of he's absorbed from people in his environment or are a reaction against something. So I do think greater insight is possible and could move the needle. And I would want to put him back in the driver's seat. Like I would want him to be more empowered to think about the kind of life he wants and what his happiness means to him. And I would want him to understand that he is responsible for his happiness and to exercise, to engage in decision-making behavior that promotes his happiness and well-being. Because obviously he's throwing up. But the question ultimately, okay, so yes, we can debate on the whether or not kids can actually pull themselves out of this sick culture we have around college admissions. But what's the question on the table? Like what to tell these parents? But the question is, I would love to put him in the driver's seat, but his parents won't let him be in the driver's seat. His parents are like, no, (laughs) it's too high stakes. And if you don't do this sport, all you're going to do is sit at home and play video games all day, which I think I suspect is correct. Actually, I think he's unhappy and what he would do with his time because he did have a month off between would be to just play video games. And that's what he did. He played video games. Well, of course, because he's so miserable, he just wants to escape. Right, right. He wants to escape reality. And I think he's still miserable. He's not at the school that he attends. He's in a different country entirely. He's pretty isolated, right? And I suspect that what he would do is actually just play video games. So my suggestion, I think what I'm going to tell the parents is, I think he's really unhappy. I think that we need to brainstorm around ways that we can help him have more choice in what he does with his day. And how do we hold both of his goals? Like, yes, I think I could talk with this kid and the culture that he comes from. I just don't think that I'm going to get anywhere with this argument. What about with the parents about their wellness of their kid? I don't think I will with the parent. I mean, I think the parents will care about the well-being of their kid. Yeah. As long as he gets into a certain college and he can be miserable for the next year and a half until he gets there and then he can be happy. Yeah, I think that's probably what his parents think. 
I mean, you and I run into that attitude, not infrequently, and it's not spoken necessarily, but it's sort of like happiness can wait. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can have freedom. When you get into Harvard, <laughs> you could do whatever you want. My parents were the same way. Yeah, then you can then you'd be free. Yeah. But I suspect, I don't know. I, I don't know for a hundred percent, but I think I'm having empathy for these parents because I'm like, yeah, I could kind of see feeling like and he doesn't he's not very close to his parents either. So it's a little bit tricky, right? They don't have a particularly tricky. close relationship. And so it's not like their relationship has been, you know, you're like, well, obviously, because they've been just putting a lot of pressure on their kid and not giving him a lot of choice in his life, right? And he's resentful. There's no doubt about it. Of course, yeah. We're not going to repair this relationship overnight. I do want to help him be happier. And I also want to help these parents feel like they're doing the right thing for their kid. I think that this is all they know. They think that like, this is the way, because if we don't do this thing, shit's really going to hit the fan. <laughs> Right. Like we're holding on by a thread right now. Listen, I think you can only like you can only lead a horse to water. So like you can have those arguments. You can try to engage the parents in growing their own capacity and horizons around thinking outside the box and helping to give them data that helps them see the situation differently. Some parents will take in that new information and evidence and adjust their perspective. Others we know will not. They're too rooted in their their fear about their child's future. And despite your experience working with far more teenagers than they've ever worked with, you know, they were going to be rooted in that, right? So there's there's sometimes we just can't move the needle. In that case, I think the instinct is like, yeah, what are sort of intermediary steps that could support the kid? Like, could he be on a competitive swim team, but not that swim team? Could he work with a therapist to work on his mood and to learn how to kind of have a different relationship and find a different kind of meaning in what he's doing. So he's not quite as depressed by it, right? Without giving up swimming, like what are some in-between steps that could help? Could the parents meet with a therapist from time to time or do family therapy to help them begin to understand how their behavior may be helping their child, maybe unintentionally hurting their child, right? So I think it's about education, about growing capacity and awareness. And when people are kind of rooted in fixed positions, then it's about what might be a middle ground option that rounds out some of these edges a little bit, but not gets rid of them entirely because people have to be cooperative to sort of, they need to see the value in collaborating in a different way. And if, you know, some people are just too worried, they're too afraid, it just isn't going to work. And that's, you know, that's okay that we all have our human moments. Like I have empathy for that too. If you're really if you're really rooted in this belief so deeply that like this path while problematic is the path that's the best for your child. And you are really convinced of that someone coming into your environment and telling you that that's wrong, particularly if you've been doing it for a really long time could feel really terrifying for a parent. So I think how can you help them ease anxiety and how can you help ease stress? So to me, that's therapy. That's giving the kid more tools around managing his emotions. You know, it's really challenging. There's a cultural component too. And that is a huge barrier. You know, I work with a lot of Chinese families, no surprise, because I am Chinese. And especially for a lot of these Chinese families around, you know, the cultural norms and expectations around parenting make these conversations so much more difficult. Like fraught. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, because the things that get centered are a little bit different and just some of the beliefs around mental health and well-being, I think it's starting to shift. We're starting to see more understanding around that. But that's why I think in this situation, it's particularly difficult because I feel like, oh, this poor kid, he's really stuck in this situation. And I feel like poor parents too, because I feel like the parents too have not gotten a lot of tools and resources to parent this child the way this child needs to be parented. And so they've got a kid who's just not super happy, kind of got himself in some hot water. Like, you know, it's like, not a surprise. It's just too bad because it sounds like there's just data point after data point after data point that it's not effective. But if you know no other way, even if you want to have another way, but you're like, that's just not in your environment. It's not in your culture. It feels wrong on a very deep level to approach something differently. You know, it's making me think I had a student, this was years back, like a long time ago in schools. And I don't want to like stereotype, but a Latinx family you know, and because it's my culture, maybe I can kind of go there a little bit where the kid really needed to be in therapy. There was like some pretty serious mental health stuff going on, but it was not, and I get it. It's not a culture for some, you know, we're not a monolith, but historically, right. I could relate to her family when they had a lot of beliefs around what therapy was or wasn't. And they had a lot of bias and belief around what it meant, you know, less stigma, I'd say. Probably stigma is the right word. And, but this kid, it wasn't adjustment stuff. This kid had real clinical stuff that needed some attention from like a doctor. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm like, I broke up with my first boyfriend and I'm sad. It was deeper than that. So I was pretty worried about the kid because I I felt like they really needed a kind of clinical intervention. But I also could relate to and understood the cultural resistance that was happening. And it was hard, you know, and it took a long time. And one of the things that helped shift some stuff a little bit is to sort of shift the conversation. In this case, right, my goal was sort of to destigmatize therapy and to kind of help them understand why it wasn't like a willpower issue with their kid and why it wasn't like something that they could just like talk to with their family or with their church or, you know, like it like needed a little bit of a different kind of expertise. And ultimately, because I'm Mexican-American, but I'm not a first generation, right? And this was a first generation kid, much more closer to an immigrant experience. And so I had, you know, I have friends, I have a couple of Latinx therapist friends who work primarily in this space and work in the language in which they parents felt most comfortable speaking. And, you know, so I said, like, could you just talk to this person? Like, you don't have to do anything. Like, just talk to this person, like someone who looks like you and sounds like you and comes from the same kind of cultural context that you come from. And that helped a little. They still didn't send their kid to therapy, but it helped soften them a little bit in a way that started enabling us to have the different kind of conversation. And then I connected them to some other parents in the school. Again, Latinx parents that I knew they already had kind of a relationship with. And they really trusted, like they trusted what those parents said, right? You know, so I don't know if like how to find allyship, like relatable allyship for those parents. Because I think, again, the parents you're describing, at the end of the day, if you cut through all the, you know, you and I can debate on the tactics, but at the end of the day, what they really want is for their kid to be successful. Like what they really want is their kid to be like a high functioning adult. There's nothing wrong with that. Like what parent doesn't want that? 
That's a tricky one though. That's hard. Yeah. Right. It's like, how do I, so I want to have this conversation with them around pressure versus expectations. And I think that they can shift some of their pressure off of swim and align it around expectations around his engagement with his life and taking responsibility for his future. Well, that's pretty good. And I think largely, thanks. <laughs> I think largely he hasn't taken responsibility. That'd be a win. <laughs> no, it'd be great. So that's that's what I'm hoping to do. And I think so much of his behavior, what we're seeing is in response to too much pressure and not clarity around expectations, right? Is too much pressure. It's about outcomes, totally outcome oriented. It's performative. Yeah. It's right. It's not actually, and that's not what his parents want. I don't think it really like in the heart if they want their kid to be, to have integrity and to be, you know, to be a good person and they want him to be happy and successful. And it's also what he wants for himself ultimately, but he's not making those choices because I don't think he feels like he can. Like it's not really even in his hands in some ways. I think this is where parents need support. Like they need their networks of support. When they get feedback from people like us, right? Or a physician or a therapist that says, hey, this thing you're doing, coming from a good place, maybe not the best tactics. Like here's how we could shift 90 degrees and we think this would be better for your kid. Like that will cause a lot of parents pretty severe anxiety that they're doing something wrong because we're used to doing something in a particular way. And so I think it's also really important for parents to like, one, to know that that's normal if you're experiencing that and to seek out support for that for yourself, because that's hard, right? It's going to feel scary. It's uncertain territory. And so like, who are the people in your life that you can talk to to kind of help you stay calm as you venture into this sort of new parenting territory? Because it's hard. And you don't know what you don't know, right? And of course it's scary because it's uncharted territory and it's shifting an entire mindset and philosophy around how you've parented. Like, this is the thing that works for us and this is what we've known to do. And and this is how we've been able to manage our anxiety around parenting this kid. And this is how we've been able to get the behavior in line, right? Like, this is what we know how to do. And all of a sudden somebody's like, hey, actually, your kid is not happy, even though he's doing, he's going through the motions and something needs to shift if you want there to be the long term, right? When we're looking at the long game, like if you really want your kid to flourish and thrive and become the, you know, self-actualization, if you want that to happen, you've got to shift. So anyways, that's the hard conversation I need to have next week with these parents. Wish me luck. <laughs> no, you're going to handle it beautifully because I think everything you said is exactly right. And it's not these things don't always have nice, neat little bows, right? It's a process. This conversation that you're having with them, it's probably going to be several conversations, right? Like it's a process. But you reminded me of something the other day that I think is also important because sometimes I know for myself, and this is, I will own this bias, like, and this happened in schools. And, you know, when I worked in schools, I had a lot of power. I'd be like, oh, you don't like that? Well, too, too bad. bad. Guess what? <laughs> exactly. <Take your> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, if I knew something was going to be right for the kid, I could kind of make it happen, you know? But one thing that I think I always try to remind myself of, and I, I remember I was complaining to you the other day about something. And you were like, Meredith, you have to remember that like you and I have seen, because I get very, I get very riled up when I 
know something is happening to a child that is causing suffering in some way to the family, to the kid, to the parents, to other kids in the house, right? When we just know, and and we know it because we've worked with, you know, over 10,000 kids each, right? Like that's how we know it is because we've just got so much data that like, yep, I've seen that 1500 times. I've not seen it work once, right? And sometimes I forget, I can lose sight of the fact that for parents, they don't have as much experience in certain ways, right? As you and I with seeing this stuff, like you and I have seen certain things so much and we've seen how the tape plays to the end so much. And I, you checked me the other day because you were like, calm down. And I was like, you're right. I was all fired up about something. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember. remember. <laughs> it was like three weeks ago, I was all fired up. And you're like, you have to remember that like, this is the first time. It was just a good reminder. And usually I'm pretty good at remembering this, but it was sort of like a good reminder. Like, hey, this is the first time that they're seeing this. This is the first time they're experiencing this. Or this kid is so different than their other two kids. Right. And I think that like, just a lot of compassion. Like if we can just bring compassion into the equation more, it helps, including compassion for how you're going to execute this conversation next (laughs) week. I'm sure it will go great. Pressure versus expectations, folks. Pressure versus expectations, right? Talk about the values. Talk about what really matters. Keep your eyes on the long-term prize, which is a happy, healthy, flourishing, productive member of society. That's what you want. And the way to get there is not always a straight line, and it's messy. It's never a straight line. It's not a straight line, right? And I think parents would like that. They would just like it to be like me too. We would all like it would. Yeah, I know. I said <laughs> we great. would all. When we all the teens, the teens would like that too. They're like, I get A's and I work really hard, then I get into Harvard and then I get my degree and then I go and get my very fancy consulting job. Anyways, we think it's a straight line. It's not, and it's okay that it's not. And putting pressure on your kids to make that line as straight as possible and direct that point from point A to point B. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Even the kids who rise to the occasion and like you put pressure on them and they're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I have a kid right now who super high achieving last year is at an Ivy League college this year. And she's on the struggle bus, y'all. Yeah. Because her parents aren't there anymore. I don't know that her parents were like super high pressure, but either way, she's burned out. Right. She's kind of crashing and burning so that even if you don't see the effects right away, like that stuff will show up someplace. That's what I think. And she's suffering now. There's an article in The Atlantic that I sent Kathy yesterday that I mean, I'm paraphrasing the title and it's a very well written article and I'm going to make light of it and what I'm about to say. But it was basically like really smart people are unhappy and and the whole article. And it's not really that's not really what it was about. But the whole article talks about the themes are about meaning and purpose and a holistic well-being and a well-lived life. And this is supported by a lot of research is one in which our talents and skills are being exercised from a place of meaning and purpose, usually in service of people or causes beyond the self. Yeah. And so the accrual or time of like accolades of self actually has an inverse relationship to happiness often. And yet it's such a frenetic focal point in our society, in the college process, 
And I have, I hold colleges in the process that they've created quite responsible for a lot of that culture. But it's a good article because it speaks to a lot of what we're talking about around sort of this pressure, right? We have pressure to achieve and pressure to succeed and pressure to reach certain benchmarks at a certain time in life. And like you get there and you're like, wait a minute, I'm actually not happier that I bought this house or I'm not happier that I have this fancy car or I'm not happier that I got into this college. I'm actually less happy, but I wasn't I supposed to be happy because I got the first prize in the thing. Yeah. I'm not happy. I'm a doctor. <laughs> right. I went through yeah. how many years of education. Right. And I'm like, now I'm a doctor. And I thought this was the thing that was going to make me happy. And now I'm a doctor and I don't want to be a doctor. Right. So that's all to say expectations are good. <laughs> High expectations are good. High pressure, bad. Okay. That's all you need to know about this episode. Just that's it. Yep. You just send that to your friends. And that was our big takeaway. <laughs> well, it's obviously more complicated than that because we had this long ass episode about it. <laughs> I know. Go read Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. That'll do you some good. <laughs> That's a good book. Oh, The Search for Meaning, right? What is the meaning of life? I literally asked that a kid the other day. What is the purpose of your life? Tell me. The meaning of my life is to hang out with you as much <laughs> as possible. I hang out with you. We go on trips together. We eat snacks. <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's I mean that's pretty bad to me. That's pretty good. We eat, we talk, we eat snacks, and sometimes really good meals. We eat, we talk, and we go on relaxing vacations. That's right. We go on a nice romantic vacation from time to time, and that mm. brings a lot of joy to our life. And I would argue, it sure does. <laughs> brings more meaning than making lots of money. Just saying. I have been friends for 21 years. I know. That's crazy. We owed. Our friendship could drink legally. <laughs> <laughs> if we had a baby, when we met, they would be of legal drinking age now. It's weird. If only. <laughs> this episode's taking a turn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Be easy and gentle on yourselves as you walk the tightrope between what is pressure what is healthy expectation? You're going to make mistakes. Join the club. I've got plenty of them. And you know what? We can always correct. We can autocorrect. It's okay. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Indeed. Bye, y'all. <laughs>